Hey guys, I hope you enjoy this installment of the Online Podcast with Pastor Brian Stecker. I recorded with him and had an awesome time hanging out with him. What we're going to do is break up that long form into the kind of bits that we usually use here about an hour on Brief History of Power. But I will put a link in the show notes to the full thing if you just want to go watch it yourself. And you should definitely check out the upcoming episodes. You can see what he's what he's doing and and what he's getting going and and who he's going to have on. It looks like a lot of fun and is even more Joe Rogan style than we are, being both video and very long form. So if if you're into that, please go check him out. Great guy and a, a great thing that they're doing there at Trinity Waconia, Minnesota. So take a listen and I hope you enjoy three hours. This will be one installment of it of secularism and the martyrs. So one, so one of the marks of secularism you're saying is going to be that it's just, it's going to be quick moving in because it's not rooted in something so much. It's yeah. progress for the sake of progress, change for the sake of change, because it, by necessity, it's removed itself from those firm foundations that used to be the case. For us here in the West and in the US, we used to be rooted on some kind of Judeo-Christian morality, you know, Christian you know, even Christmas and Easter and these kind of flows throughout the year, traditions yeah. in the home. Yeah. Once you move away from that, you're saying there's not the foundation anymore. And the next movement there for secularism is going to be, it's going to quickly progress, not just just change for the sake of change. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So secularization as a process, we described this increasing departure from affirmation and practice of Christianity. Secularism as an ideology about those things, a set of thoughts and maybe even practices, it's certainly a set of practices if you look at public ceremony in America where Christian prayer has been increasingly eclipsed, even where you have Christian representation like in a military chaplaincy situation or something, not to speak of like high school football games, mm -hmm. right? Or public display of Christian documents like the Ten Commandments. Secularism as an ideology has its own sets of practices. One of those sets of practices is always, if at all possible, the eclipse of affirmation even that Christianity exists. So it's it's almost always, and at least in its inception, going to be, and th this is important because the word is such a shibboleth today, it's, it's always in its inception anti-democratic mm -hmm. because in a historically Christian nation, almost everybody is Christian, at least nominally, and therefore has zero problem. I mean, they don't necessarily go to church, but if somebody wants to pray over the PA system before a football game, they don't care. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay. The way that that gets eclipsed is that, and th so this goes in not so much to secularization as a process, but secularism as an ideology. Would, would you say that that has taken root now? That's what we live. That has in taken root, particularly in our elites. And this was mentioned. This was noticed at least forty or fifty years ago by sociologists who said that. And so they didn't mean this literally in the sense of religious convictions, but in the sense of religiosity, religious practice. That if Sweden is the most secular country on earth in say 1970, and India is self-reporting as the most religiously active country in the world, America is Indians ruled over by Swedes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the Meaning that that if you want to belong to the people who govern the people who make decisions, the people who, who produce content, you need to be a person who will affirm the 
at least, and this is what is so important about it, the irrelevance of Christianity. That's why I said it's it's important to put it away like your grandparents' sports team from a city you've never been to. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to that's gonna sway a lot more people and be easier for people to step into. And it's always an attraction of if you want to take the next step up, then leave that aside and adopt this. Yes. In the same way that in previous ages, if you wanted to join, if you wanted to be part of the business elite in basically any American city, you needed to go to an Episcopal or a Presbyterian church, mm-hmm. right? It was a big deal that the Rockefeller family, after they made their money, stayed Baptist. Hmm. You know, my ancestors were largely Baptist on both sides. My ancestors on both sides were largely not very prosperous people. They mm-hmm. were like farmers, okay? So there was a hierarchy to these things. And if you wanted to really make it and really have arrived in America, those were the denominations you joined. Hmm. Probably the Episcopal Church, maybe the Presbyterian Church. Pittsburgh, Presbyterian, big time, Scots-Irish. Yeah, yeah. Most places Episcopalian, okay? So that was just the rule. Now, you kind of need to, if, you, if, if you're going to be a member of a Christian church, which you're almost certainly not going to be, you need to affirm certain things that will either completely conflict with that church, hence we have all of these discussions of, should a Catholic politician who supports abortion take Holy Communion? Mm-hmm. be allowed to take Holy Communion. If you're, if you're going to nominally belong, you still need to affirm certain things. You probably would just do better and save yourself some time and trouble by not even nominally belonging. Mm-hmm. So that's increasingly true even in the Republican Party. It's certainly true in the Democratic Party. That is the rule of secularism as an ideology, which is that Christianity, if it's going to exist, needs to be at best, irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it needs to be opposed, but it needs to be at best irrelevant. So secularization is a process ongoing in a giant, you know, widespread general population is one thing. Secularism as an ideology, it could be adopted by anybody, but it really only matters really that governing elites adopt it. That's what's really going to change a society in a lasting way. So is there, is there a strategy to this? Like, are there, you know, is this something that's just kind of, it just is happening or is this being driven, right? Because I mean, it seems certainly yeah. we'd say Satan is yeah. involved, but yeah. like, tangibly, are there people that are kind of marking this out? Because I mean, yeah. that would, you've got churches that have moved and they've become, as you've said, like there's still churches, but they've adopted all the things that yeah. secularism right. wants them to adopt. Like, are these things that are just kind of happening or is there is, is there war going on? There is a war going on. The agents of that war are not always self-conscious. Okay, so I'll give you an example, and let's just run through a specific group to make this relatively clear. Because something you'll notice is that the terms, the conditions of battle change over time. If you go back 150 years, so you're well into the 19th century 150 years ago, then you are dealing with a situation where what are then called the Northern Baptists are beginning to fight over the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. So what is the source of divine authority? They're starting to fight over that. There are some seminary professors who are saying maybe the Bible is not inspired in the sense that we've always thought. And that's related to the debate over Darwinian evolution. And Okay. Mm-hmm. Fast forward about 50 years from that, 
Now that same Rockefeller family that I mentioned is a really big funder through the Rockefeller Foundation of the cause of what is then called pretty broadly liberal Protestantism. So that's going to fund seminaries like Union Seminary in New York. That's going to fund a lot of the startup period for Planned Parenthood, which is devoted both to abortion, but more explicitly and more broadly in its founding to the use of birth control. So that's now changing. Okay, so you're looking at the 1920s, you're looking at the 1930s. The Northern Baptists are now pretty firmly under the control of what we would call liberalism, but America in the 1920s and 1930s is still a very broadly Christian society. So those people are still, they're preaching sermons on the radio that mm -hmm. others are listening to. The most famous of them would be Harry Fosdick, who preaches a very famous sermon called Shall the Fundamentalists Win? Okay. Mm. So he's gone. Those kinds of preachers are gone. You probably can't hear what's now called an American Baptist Churches USA preacher on the radio because who listens to the radio and who's listening to sermons? Mm -hmm. So that group, which is now like every other mainline denomination, shrinking very rapidly, is now irrelevant to Satan's purposes. So at any given time, there may be a, a Reverend Fosdick, or there may be a Rockefeller Foundation run originally by Reverend Henry Gates. There may be various people who are agents of these purposes, but in an overarching way, Satan uses them and then they are discarded. Mm -hmm. So what you can see simultaneously is they are shifting very rapidly to adapt and ABC USA ordains women and supports abortion and, and anything else you might imagine from a liberal Protestant group. As they shift, they also disappear. Mm -hmm. They don't matter. What would be like, so going back over that 150 yeah. years, what would be if you had to pick five, give or take, kind of key victories that were maybe lost in this move yeah. from something that would have been a very Christian type society to secularism kind of winning out, yeah. you know, to some degree. Yeah, okay. The two, the two biggest ones in the United States, as well as in Europe, and the hinge point here being the French Revolution, involve a revolt against authority and a revolt against nature, the concept mm -hmm. of nature because nature is going to be the source of thinking, particularly for political and civil order, as well as order in the family. What is a family like? What is a family? And the revolt against nature is the primary thing that when Edmund Burke, the British thinker and politician, is trying to explain what is wrong with the French Revolution, what makes this unprecedented, and for him is a giant difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution about two to roughly 15 to 20 years earlier, is that the American Revolution is within the same scope of politics and appeals to nature. You Probably people are familiar with the phrase nature and nature's God. The rights that are claimed in those documents involve an appeal to natural rights. The concept that life has been set up in a certain way. So is would this be like meaning like nature as designed and purposed by a Design creator? Design and purpose, a created order. Okay. Okay. Versus something that just happened to get here. Yep. Okay. Something that just accidentally happens to be and could be changed, mm -hmm. probably even by us. Because what they identify as the problem and what thinkers 
now completely obscure, but people like Fisher Ames in the United States looking at the French Revolution identify as the problem is that we are now revolting against the idea that there's any natural order to society at all. I'll give you an example of the French Revolution. They attempt to have a 10-day week because it's more rational. They also have literal worship of a goddess reason in a cathedral that they've appropriated for that purpose, hmm. okay? But they try to have a 10-day week. Well, human beings are just not set up that way because the earth and the sun and the moon are not set up that way. You can't hmm. have a 10-day week. So you're dealing with a revolt against nature down to the level of how you're trying to structure time itself. It doesn't work. So in other words, there's nothing above you. Like there's nothing, you, don't, there's you can't even nothing. submit to nature. No, Yeah. no. Everything is pliable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is kind of the abolition of man. That's the abolition of man. Mm -hmm. And that is why you will consistently find, and for Americans, sometimes this can be hard to discern, but you will consistently find if there is a British Christian thinker that you, that you like, I can guarantee you he hates the French Revolution. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that goes for Lewis and for Tolkien, because for them, that is a revelation of something horrid and demonic in the midst of Western history. And that revolt against nature is going to continue. So sometimes Americans will pick up this story with maybe communism, mm -hmm. okay? Or maybe they'll pick up this story with a discussion of the advent of evolution. That's, that's I think, connected more to this revolt against authority. I'll talk about that in a second. But the revolt against nature is more fundamental and obvious. That numbness that I talked about earlier, I think is a numbness to observation of nature. Because the reason I can convince you that a boy can turn into a girl is because you have little practical experience of what a boy is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you have little practical knowledge of what a girl is. You've never just sat there and observed the difference between your brother and your sister mm -hmm. and how they react to the same things and why mom gets more upset when sister does something wrong than when brother does something wrong and why your dad will scream at your brother and will not scream at your sister, at least not in the same way. Yeah, You just don't have the time, you haven't seen it, you're, you're bored, you're trying to be entertained, you're whatever, mm -hmm. but you just don't even have access. Yeah, so the more, the more you're just actually in the world, the more you actually just experience these things and, and they're, they're obvious to you. Correct. The more you live in kind of it could be intellectual philosophy where you're no, you're just kind of out here in the abstract yeah. or if you're distracted by your phone, right. then these kind of non-natural ideas are able to seep in and take control. They, they only have plausibility because of that. Did you watch the uh, What is a Woman? No. Documentary. No. So there's- uh, Is that Matt Walsh? Name? Matt Walsh, That's yeah. Matt Walsh, yeah. So there's, there's one scene and he, it's, it's it's really well done, but there's some scenes that are just <laughs> hilarious. And he's got two where he's kind of, he's just, all he does is ask these questions, right? So mm -hmm. he just kind of asks and he listens and whatnot. <laughs> and he has two interviews. One, he does like this, I don't know if it's like a comic book store owner, but he's like 70 years yeah. old and he's real crass in his language and stuff. And he's just like, I guess he told some like senator to get out, out because he made, it was a, obviously a guy senator who was telling this old guy that he had to call him a woman. And he's like, you're not a woman and he, I won't say everything that he said, <laughs> but it was just point being, it was like, here's this guy that obviously is not like yeah. reading philosophical books right. or like whatnot. He's just like living grassroots life. <laughs> yes. And like these ideas come in, he's like, what the heck? And then right. they go to the Maasai tribe over in Kenya. Yeah, okay. And same thing. And he's like, do you think that a woman can become a man? And like, they say these things and all these like, 
these like tribal guys are they're just like <laughs> like what who is this guy what yeah. kind of questions are you asked but right, point right. being they're just they're just out in nature they're just so everything is just obvious to them because yes. they're not they're not living in a fake and made-up world so the problem that would be identified earlier as like he's he's book smart but he's not street smart mm-hmm. or he needs to learn life more that that is a certain separation that is a problem in like an intellectual young man mm-hmm. and it is a problem see how that gets extended through the absolute explosion of constant media and entertainment to almost everybody mm-hmm. so that almost nobody has the kind of access to life and its realities and its givenness that previous generations you could rely on 98% of people do. And now you've got your 2% who are kind of off in their own world all the time mm-hmm. and they need to like come back down, you know, mm-hmm. and the hot air balloon ride. Now everybody's up in a hot air balloon all the time. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the, that's one of the core battles that were lost on a, a tree is a tree or a boy <laughs> is a boy, you know, just calling a thing what it is. Yeah. Which it's not, I mean, Chesterton talks about that a lot. And yeah. he even says back in, what was Chesterton, like the teens, you know, 1910 yeah, or right. 1920, you know, and he says there's going to be a time where wars are f- fought over calling a leaf green. Right. And, and he was dead right, you know, and that's exactly what's going on. He was. So you have a revolt against nature. And I think the other primary one, and this is the one that hits America earlier, honestly, even predates our revolution for our elites particularly what we would call the founding fathers, but especially in Virginia, maybe disproportionately because of the Anglican church's problems. And that's a revolt against authority. That when you have authority, especially divine authority in forming a society, that's also gonna inform how everything else is conceived of. We have this, Lutherans and the small catechism, when we have the table of duties, that's where you have Bible passages collected concerning authority and responsibility for all different facets of life the church the family the government the workplace that's that's just kind of collected there in a small way and you could append any number of stories in the bible as well as experiences in your own life to those different things to help understand okay why are they saying this and and what's going on and and what does god say the government is for or what does god say the woman should be doing in the marriage or whatever the case is once that goes away And it goes away generally in a Protestant society through a fight about the Bible. Hmm. This is going to be called in a book by Harold Linsell later in the 1970s, The Battle for the Bible. It's easier to think about it in terms of authority, I think, because that has to do not just with where are we getting authority, but also what, what is allowing anything to be what it is. Because if I can either depose old authorities or replace them with newer ones, then I can change a society very rapidly. Mm -hmm. So there's a revolt against nature, but the problem is everybody's experiencing nature on some level. So the person on hormone replacement therapy is still struggling to make himself sound like a woman when he talks. It's why you will often find that transsexuals have exaggeratedly feminine gestures when they talk because they're trying too hard Mm -hmm. because they're trying to overcome nature and they know it that's why they're very hurt when you don't accede or recognize their demands to be recognized as a woman right because they're trying to overcome nature if i can expunge authority that's 
way more powerful on top. So if I'm trying to get rid of nature, if I get rid of authority that's going to speak in favor of nature, in favor of a created order, in favor of where did this all come from, in favor of I am going to discover God's existence and then wonder if I'm actually accountable to him, just a basic Romans 1 kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. then I have a very powerful tool in my hands. So what that has usually started as in the West has been the destruction of the notion of the authority of Scripture. For the Roman Catholic Church even, I mean, even they have a different view of authority than than a Protestant would. For the Roman Catholic Church, the destruction of the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture preceded the Second Vatican Council, which later on Catholics would recognize that's when things really began to go south. Hmm. So they, the Catholics moved away from the inerrancy of Scripture? Catholics were right there with us in like 1930, yeah, <laughs> affirming and defending the inerrancy of Holy Scripture. Hmm. Since they've moved away from that, they have been unable to state things with the same clarity and firmness that they did in a previous generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though they have a different structure for authority, they have tradition, they have the magisterium, they have the pope, blah, 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 blah. You can't eviscerate the Bible and wind up with a coherent church anymore. It doesn't matter how many other sources of authority you have. Mm -hmm. It's going to go away. So how does that play out in a church? So, you know, LCMS, for instance, we have the inerrancy of Scripture. Right. But I'm guessing kind of this pushback against authority, which is a battle we've lost a while ago, Mm -hmm. you know, as Mm -hmm. you're saying in like the U.S. Yeah. How does that affect us? Because I'm sure we're not immune from that issue. We're not immune because I think that the LCMS difficulty, and this is true, and, 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 and you know this too, is that the LCMS difficulty is always what's on the books. And in the case of Scripture, what's on the books is so great. Mm-hmm. So good. What's on the books needs to match what we're actually doing. That's our big problem, mm-hmm. right? So we have a different... Roman Catholics are like, what's on the books is like, I don't know where you got this. Well, it was like revealed to this person in the 4th century, and then the Pope said it was fine in the 13th century, so it's what we do. That's its own problem. Mm-hmm. Our problem is always what's on the books needs to match what's happening, and what's happening is not what's on the books. Mm-hmm. So with the notion of Scripture, it's not just that scripture needs to be affirmed as an errant, but therefore also understood as inerrant also for your life. Yeah. Like, it's not going to lead you into error if you know it and use it for your life, right? It's not just an errant on paper. It's also, it's not leading you into error personally tomorrow with your family. Yeah. 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 So in other words, we wouldn't ever come out and say that's wrong, but we'll be like, well, that's right. But like, Let's just kind of leave that over there and like move over. Yeah, and the moves are various. I mean, if you want to talk about specifically Lutheran moves, one big difficulty we have is the way that we talk about the law. Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking about something that applies to somebody's life, so if I talk about the use of time, for example, somebody feels like it's an absolute just shut down argument to say, well, that's law. Like mm-hmm. as if it kind of doesn't matter because it's not the gospel, strictly speaking. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of one move that we make. Another move that we make, and I've... I used to be surprised by it, but I've heard it enough. I'm not surprised by it anymore, is that we will get very relativistic about something being in the Bible. So if it's in the Bible and it's about something that has that fits very awkwardly or doesn't fit at all with what modern people want to do, you affirm that you believe that it's good. You just deny that it applies to you. 
would be an example. Of that. Yeah. So I mean, you do with, you do this with the table of duties. You do this with marriages all the time. Yeah. So dad's supposed to be the leader of the family. Mom and dad were both raised in the Lutheran church. They know that functionally. That's never how it works. Whenever they have an argument, he gives in to her. She's willing to get loud. He's not. So that's how it functions. They're both unhappy with it because they weren't made for her to lead him. Mm-hmm. But that's what's actually happening. So you can see them tense up when you say this in the sermon or the Bible class. You just watch their body language. And what they're going to do in their own minds is say, okay, you know, kind of that was then, this is now. That was fine for grandma and grandpa. We're not like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the source of a solution to that is just that they know what's supposed to be happening. Because guess what? In the LCMS, probably they already do. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the way that they use their time. I think it's also the way that they structure their conversations. I think it's also that mom is allowed by kind of cultural approval to resent dad or make fun of dad. And dad is accentuating his own disinclination to deal with it by checking out on his phone. Mm -hmm. So these are all kind of small, they look small, I think they're huge, but they're little life things. Mm -hmm. And if I'm allowed to say, well, it's on the books and that's good enough, then I'm never gonna get down to discuss the little life things. And little life things are the things that shape people's behaviors and their thoughts. They shape whether the kids are actually gonna believe the stuff that the parents were taught that are still on the books at the church they all go to. Mm -hmm. So that's also why I'm interested in the secularization thing is that not secularism as an ideology, because mom and dad aren't sitting there saying like, I think we want to be communists, right. you know? Like, yeah. I really like what that Marx has to say about opiate of the masses, you know? That just rings true to me. They're not doing that, you know? They're, they're, they're changing, or their kids aren't even going to go to a church, partly because of how mom and dad interact based on the cultural approval mom feels from what she scrolls on TikTok, and the fact that dad can check out so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, it is, it's very covert in mm-hmm. the way that it moves and it makes kind of little yeah. moves to take over small things that lead to big takeovers where all of a sudden you look back and you go, how did we change so much over 20 years? It's like, well, you lost that battle in January and yeah, February and March, right. all these little baby steps. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you asked for five and I gave you two. And if I wanted to give you another three, I'd have to give it to you at like 30. Yeah. So those are the big overarching Those ones. are the big ones. Because if I could say there is a divine authority that who, who has not only inspired scripture, but also set life up in a certain way, mm-hmm. such that there is something called nature, Now I can explain why when mom is leading the family, she is so unhappy doing it. Yeah. Because it's not in her nature. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can tell that they, the, the families that operate that way, yeah. they don't love it, but they justify it and they'll justify it. You they'll, they'll, have to justify it because, yeah. so justification is kind of downstream of these things. And that's a Lutheran doctrine, but it's also like a life word. Mm-hmm. And it's a life word that you use when you want to, and I, I don't know why, I mean, if you, you should preach a sermon on justification and not have to reference Luther because it's all over life. So you can talk about Luther later if you want to, but this is what people do with their lives because nobody wants to get up 
And if you have a second to think about, like let, let's say you're in the shower and you don't have a phone that can go in the shower with you. So now you just have to stare at the wall while you're washing your hair, you know what I mean? And so you have a second to think, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, or whatever. When you have moments like that, justification is what human beings engage in. Yeah, It's how we explain to ourselves why we are not pointless, worthless, creatures because mm -hmm. we need to and we're made to because we're not supposed to feel pointless and worthless yeah but especially when you're engaged in pointless worthless things that's the kind of stuff you think about and then you need to come up with a justification it's also why in talking about stuff like this so if somebody comes into my office and says i'm unhappy in my marriage blah blah blah, blah you know i'm not like angry at him and this concerns perhaps the way that we talk about sin is that a lot of sin is not only like some sort of immediately conscious transgression. Mm -hmm. It's also revolting against nature in your own life in a way with which I can completely sympathize because I'm a sinner too, mm -hmm. that at the time seemed like such a good idea and for which you had a lot of justifications. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about stuff like this, I'm not like angry that your family is checking out on your phones every night. Mm -hmm. But I know and you know it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And it's and it does no good to justify <laughs> yeah, that on your like, behalf and say you're doing fine. Like, yeah, of course, that's what we do in that's the 21st great. century. That's just the same as when my family and I go for a hike and look at each other's faces and the sun. <laughs> it's the same. It's fine. Yeah. There's no reason to pretend like it is. Well, let me give you an example. And I hope... I hope I don't know if this person that I was having this discussion with is listening. I hope I don't offend them. But because uh, it, it's, I think it's a good example of this to where I was having a conversation with someone not yeah. too long ago. Yeah. And they were, I think they were processing on behalf of somebody else. So this is a person I don't know. Sure. And the person that I do know is talking about the life situation that this third party woman is in. Yeah. And the story from the third party woman is that she's, she's attempted the dating life for a while and it has not worked out yeah. and it continues to not work out. And now she's at the point where she wants children. And so she wants to go the route of, you know, just artificial and some, you know, yeah, having right. a child and she's gonna be on her own, right? Yeah, right. And I was, I didn't really participate in the conversation because it wasn't, it wasn't my role to, but I just kind of listened and kind of the argument was like, this person wants, really wants to be a mother and good for her for, for, taking it upon herself to do this and kind of strengthen yeah. all of that. Yeah. And from the person who was making that argument, I can understand to your point, I can sympathize and say, I understand like where you're coming from is where you're saying like, good for her and like the dating life's tough and there's not a lot of good, you know, guys out there where they're living and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I can, I can sympathize where you're coming from. Yeah. From a Christian perspective, we're not on the same page at yeah. all. Right. But to that point, it's just, you're so far down the road, there's all these little battles that have been lost. Like, like maybe that child needs a father and maybe denying that child a father is a chief crime and the discussion can stop at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, from my perspective, I'm looking at it, I'm going, so let's get this straight. Like we know statistically that one of the worst things that can happen to a child is they can, be, they can grow up without a father in the household. Yeah. And we want to design from the very beginning a setup where the father is not allowed into the household ever. He doesn't know it's his household. He doesn't even know it's his household. <laughs> and we want to applaud this. Like, from my perspective, this looks ridiculous. 
from someone's perspective that they don't have some of these some of these assumptions and dominoes have been knocked down yeah already i can sympathize with sure. where they're coming sure, from sure, sure. but i think that's a, it's kind of an interesting case study rhetorically you can go about explaining this in a variety of different ways but you're going to end up appealing to nature you'll notice that any time that the apostles and the one that does this at the greatest length is of course saint paul both in his letters but also in acts is speaking to pagans the way that he's trying to make traction is by appealing to nature he talks about nations and boundaries and the weather in Athens in order to get to talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the final judgment. So you're going to have to appeal to nature. You can go at that in a harsh way if it's going to get through this person, or you can say in a way that is verbally less harsh, but I think it's it needs to land with weight because that person is about to make an enormous mistake mm -hmm. for herself and for the kid and for the 6'2 Harvard MBA that provided the opportunity to have that kid because she did pre-select for that. She cared about that, mm -hmm. just not about his personal existence in the kid's life. Hmm. One day that kid is going to go looking for her dad because you can't control nature. You can run headfirst into it or you can work with it but you don't control it. And that is the primary illusion modern people have. And I suppose by modern, I also mean secular people is that they have an illusion that they are in control of nature. Just because we control humidity so people can live in Florida, okay, with air conditioning, we think we also have control over nature. But the reason that kid is gonna go look for her dad, if she can find out who he is, is because she has been made to know him. Hmm. So she's gonna look. It doesn't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. And things about her that are gonna be somewhat inexplicable to you, like exactly why her eyes are that color, or she does that thing with her mouth before you know she's gonna talk or whatever, that's because her dad does them. Mm -hmm. Now, in when you have mom and dad, and then the kids are all from mom and dad, this isn't the source of control even. Just because I worked with nature in having a wife who is the mother of all of my children, it doesn't mean that I have control. It means that I am incessantly humbled and shocked in a, in a wonderful way by how they are mm -hmm. because they reflect my nature and her nature. And the more that I learn about my parents and grandparents, the more I learn I'm probably just reprising things that my grandpa said and did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why Why do you think there's such a move towards, I don't know, raising those kind of things up, those kind of stories of, you know, a woman that wants to, you know, exclude any man from raising yeah, yeah, a yeah, child, yeah. or, you know, there, there's all sorts of examples within this arena, but why is that chase after? Why is that adored so much? And, you know, even kind of steel manning that, that approach like what's what is it that's built into their into this their psyche maybe it's into secularism that's yeah. causing that because part of it is they're, they're i think they're desiring as they articulate those things they're desiring good but they're missing right yeah it, it's the way that the abolition of man actually operates mm -hmm. because the problem is i can't i can't unless i'm going to kill somebody get rid of nature expressing itself in him and through him and in his reflections i i can't actually do that I need to realize that if I'm going to change him radically, I'm going to take 
someone that was supposed to be and was perhaps even educated to be a devout Christian into something else is that I need to work with the impulses, both natural, but also culturally implanted with which he's familiar, right? Think about the way, for instance, gay marriage was sold to people. It was sold on the basis of a word that Christianity brought love, Hmm. right? That wasn't the basis of the family prior to Christianity. There was an appeal to natural order in the family, but the family, for instance, could consist of a man and multiple women, or a man and a woman and mistresses, or a man and a woman and other people in ancient Greece, because love wasn't the basis of the family, because the relationship between Christ and the church was not the basis of the family, like it is in Ephesians 5. So it's, it's a very clever method to take something that is in its own way wonderful, This woman wants to have a child. This person wants to not be lonely when he's dying and not to call him to repentance, back to some ground, solid ground, where he has to admit he's wrong, but instead to tell him that the way to obtain what he wants is through technological means, Hmm. okay? Through in vitro fertilization for this woman or through whatever means the person is seeking some kind of happiness. So what it particularly weaponizes in the example that you used is, oh, it's, it's a mom. She wants to be a mom and she wants to, she wants to, she, she just wants to fill her life with like, you know, making cupcakes when it's her daughter's birthday for the whole class. Mm-hmm. You're like, what's wrong with that? Right? Isn't that, isn't that great? Like, don't you want people to be happy? You know? And it takes that and it says, you're not allowed to talk about any of the circumstances of this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a world that is absolutely obsessed with things being sustainable but in the human realm promotes the most unsustainable things. Mm -hmm. Where's the dad? How did this even happen? Who is this child? Does the child know who she is? It's all wildly unsustainable. Is the mom supposed to play the role of both the mom and the dad, which is what she's gonna have to do? Mm -hmm. So, the reason that it's unsustainable is that it is trying to revolt against nature openly and obviously while retaining some things that feel natural, like a woman's desire for children. Mm-hmm. So you do this selective retention of natural impulses, let those sit, and then everything else becomes pliable. So a 90% truth is still a lie. Yes. In fact, it's much worse than a flat-out lie. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that you would be much, if if you knew somebody always lied, you just knew it. Everything he says, or take an innocuous example, there's a guy that he always says, I'll be there. And like 20% of the time he's there. Mm-hmm. Then you know, and you're not as upset when he doesn't show up, because you know he just needs to say, I'm going to be there, because he doesn't want to tell you no. Mm-hmm. That's easier to handle, or at least to plan for, than somebody who's always there, says he's going to be there, and then he doesn't show up. You're like, what happened? You wonder a lot more about it. Does this guy hate me now? Are we still friends? It's not like the guy who's your friend, but he just is completely incapable of being on time Mm -hmm. or showing up. Yeah. Okay. So something that is 90% the truth is way more dangerous than something that is 90% a lie or 100% a lie. Way more dangerous because it's so much harder to recognize. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, which is all the way all the heresies in the church are usually. Yeah, about, right? right. Like it's right. you know he's completely God, but like not not really man. Yeah, or like or not vice exactly. versa. But right. like they don't come out and you know call fish a frog or anything like that. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so this is I, I I think that they're running out of they're running out of road on the transgenderism thing because the ask is just so big. Yeah. If you don't have acquaintance with what it is, you know, you don't have acquaintance, you've never been to the Castro district in San Francisco, this is very abstract, okay? You don't have acquaintance with a problem. It's much easier to be like, well, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's not really a problem, Mm -hmm. okay? If you're asking somebody who has lived his whole life as a male to conceive of somebody else being like, maybe I need to turn into a girl, that's a much bigger ask. Mm-hmm. So this is something where, and in, in if we talk about the, the top is wobbling more, I think we're dealing with a lot more wobble in the sense that secularization as a process is always a dead-end process. Societies don't survive that revolt against nature mm-hmm. because they can't sustain families. I mean, we see family formation plummeting. We see birth rates plummeting. They just don't sustain themselves. But ideologically, I'm saying we're having trouble sustaining ourselves because we're being asked to believe increasingly obviously absurd things. I'm not saying that they're running out of road like demanding consent or that institutions, like here are things, here's here's a larger number of things you won't be able to say on LinkedIn by next year. I'm not saying that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I'm saying in people's own minds, they're running out of road because if something is baked in, then if you're going to tell me it's not, it, that's kind of hard. Yeah. If I know something about it, that's, that's a lot to ask of me. Yeah. So where does this go? This is going in a direction that because it's unsustainable is going to be very difficult for everyone. So there's a vision that I think is very popular, particularly among conservative Christians at this point, of exit or departure. This got summed up and written up as the Benedict option, but a lot Mm -hmm. of people are trying to go there in their personal lives. And the difficulty is that when things fall apart, they don't fall apart selectively just for the bad people that you don't like, right? So he maketh it, it to rain on the just and the unjust also goes in the opposite direction, right? Mm-hmm. If you are in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah at the time of destruction, you also have problems, right? Mm-hmm. Think about the woes that you get in Jeremiah concerning everybody in Jerusalem, right? And and when Jesus is talking about what's gonna prove to be the destruction of the temple 40 years later, that's going to be bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's bad for all the ladies who are pregnant or nursing in that day, regardless of whether they supported the war against Rome or not. Mm-hmm. So it's bad for everybody. It's going to be difficult for everybody. What I mean by that specifically is that when a society falls apart religiously, it also falls apart in lots of other ways. And we don't just have to talk about crime rising in our cities or something like that. We're talking about competency, whether the people you're dealing with are reliable, Mm -hmm. whether the people you're dealing with are stable. So you're trying to hire people. 
Well, when you're hiring people, you're looking particularly for, are they going to show up? Mm -hmm. um, are they going to be on a substance when they show up? Are they going to show up consistently for three weeks in a row? Is their resume an actual representation of who they are or not? And not just within the parameters of you, you know, because you cleaned the bathroom at your last job, you describe yourself as supervising, you know, maintenance for the entire facility, you know, or something yeah. like that. Like not standard exaggeration, but did this even happen? Did mm -hmm. you go to school there? Yeah. So, so, you're, so you're, you're thinking secularism as it affects institutions, as it affects families, edu educational institutions, as it does this, it's going to lead towards incompetency in a lot of different areas. People who have no sense of right or wrong, what is weighty versus what is trivial, will also prove to be unfaithful in numerous ways, and not to think that their unfaithfulness is strange. Mm -hmm. Whether their unfaithfulness to their spouse or their unfaithfulness to the job that they've been hired to do or whatever, right? So when, in, in the same way that the fruit of the Spirit is manifold, right? So there's one fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 6, and then there's all these different qualities or, or attitudes, right? Self-control and, and gentleness and all this stuff, patience, all this going together. In the same way, when sin manifests itself, springing from basic unbelief, when it manifests itself, it's going to manifest itself in multiple ways organically related to each other so that I'm dealing with simultaneously, you are unfaithful to your spouse, you are inattentive to your responsibilities, you are indifferent to the fact that I'm upset about that mm -hmm. uh, as your boss, whatever it might be. It the, These things, all they all go together. I can't for very long maintain a society that is simultaneously technologically highly sophisticated, which means extremely high maintenance levels. I mean, mm -hmm. everything requires maintenance that is technologically sophisticated, not to speak of inventing new things, but can I even keep going the things that I'm going? Can I keep the systems going that are going? So what kind of conversations are going on like in the secular world? So let's say, you know, let's take the kind of the church out of it. Let's yeah. say, because you know, I'm thinking of someone like Jordan Peterson. Yeah. You know, he's an interesting thinker. Yeah. He's not Christian. He's sure. got some Christian influence. We talked a little bit earlier about like Joe Rogan. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of leaders that are certainly not Christian, part of that secular movement. But they're they're also having these conversations within themselves of they recognize fractures and they recognize issues. So what kind of what kind of debates are they having within within that realm as they try to sustain civilization falling apart? but they're doing it from kind of the outside from us, right? From out, not from a Christian perspective. So what's going on kind of over there? I, they're, having, they're having, particularly among our elites, which are so heavily influenced by, if not identical to Silicon Valley, they're having discussions about technological solutions. So if I need to maintain cities by having smart cities, then how do I go about doing that, right? It's, it's part of the reason why China is not just a political antagonist for us. It's also, in terms of our elites, something that they increasingly ape. Hmm. 
it's one reason that when we're talking about social credit scores, I wouldn't be surprised to see those things introduced more and more. They're, they're informally there when you are being graded in a job application or a college application on the basis of your use of certain vocabulary. Mm-hmm your racial status, your gender status, et cetera, those are social credit scores. That has nothing to do with whether you're good at the work mm-hmm. or you are going to be an intelligent contributor to that college program. That has to do with whether you are politically and socially acceptable. So they're going to seek technological solutions and the way that humans are managed within that technologically informed society, whether they are trying to say, okay, renewable energy whatever technological solution they might have to an energy problem or a maintenance problem or whatever is that those human beings will be managed as if they are technological assets too so do you have the correct score do you have the correct power level mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the same way that you would think about which kind of phone you want to pick yeah yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah i mean i've got some friends that are more more corporate yeah. you know engineers and such yeah and they'll talk about you know that that's part of even their their bonus structure yep. is they'll have to they'll have to fill out things of like how much how much meat do you eat throughout a week yeah how far do you drive into work you know all these kind of things and that now gets fed into how they're going to be reviewed for promotions Correct. for bonuses for south for races yeah so in the west i mean a social credit score such as is already being implemented right mm-hmm is n- probably not going to be implemented in the same absolutely centralized way that the Chinese do mm-hmm. because our society is just not structured the same way. It would probably be most likely implemented in connection with your employment because that is an absolute necessity, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, people talk about, well, we're going to have a central bank digital currency and then they debate, do we already have that, blah, blah, blah. Well, we already have a social credit system, but it's being implemented through your HR department. Mm-hmm. It's not being implemented directly yeah. by the United States government necessarily. So they, they're they looking for technical solutions, at least Silicon Valley, some yeah. of those elites. Yeah. What about those that are like in the educational realm? Yeah. You know, they go and they get their, their PhD in education and they've right. got, you know, they've, they've got a good desire for proper education, yeah. but they've already kind of eaten the apple as far as but we don't want the old fashioned humanities. We don't want that old moral code of, yeah. of white Christianity yeah, and pa- right, right. the patri- you know. patriarchy. Yeah. So w- what are, what are they kind of striving for? What are their solutions? You know, they're educated, you know, might get in the way of their education, but mm-hmm. they're educated. They're looking at the last 20 years mm-hmm. and these huge shifts and they're applauding. Yeah. You know, where do they want to go in the future? So they just want to keep going in this direction. They want to pause, stop right here. We've reached utopia. Like what's, what, what's going through their mind? Ideologically, they're applauding, not ideologically in as much as there is still standardized testing, which was originally created to measure uh, populations generally unknown to whoever is receiving the application. So the IQ test is going to come out of Stanford in order to measure Uh, out of the psychology department in order to measure the applicants and to see who it is that's going to be coming to Stanford. Because Stanford doesn't have all the traditional feeders that a Northeastern college of similar standing would have, where your knowledge of who you're dealing with is much more personal, Mm. right? So these impersonal merit-based systems 
are going to be completely done away with. I mean, I would be shocked. So SAT, ACT. And, and measurement of them is already done away with in most cases. Mm -hmm. But I'm also going to get rid of now even um, advanced placement to the extent that that's not already a joke in any given school because it is testing disparity, racial testing disparity particularly, that is irksome to our elites that want control over everything. Mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to get rid of that. And when I get rid of that, then the education system will just become very transparently sort of like essentially a daycare. Mm -hmm. Like this is the holding tank where we have people until they're released onto the job market, mm -hmm. right? Rather than challenging them or changing them, we're going to hold them here until we can put them somewhere else, right? They're going to go, they're going to go to get a job or they're going to move into some higher form of education or something like that. But our job is basically to pass them through. This has always been a dysfunction of our educational system. This is John Taylor Gatto's complaint about New York public education 40 going on 50 years ago now, right? It's just that my job, he says, as a public school teacher is to pass people through the system. This is No Child Left Behind. Before No Child Left this Behind. This is long before, but No Child Left Behind is informed by the same idea that somehow, contrary to nature, everybody's going to be educated to the same standard. Yeah. And if they're not educated to the same standard, if I still have testing disparities, I need to throw money at the problem. Yeah. I remember, so I was, I studied psychology in business and undergrad. And yeah. I regretted, well, I regretted my psychology study. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> And I remember I was taking, I forget which class it was in psychology, but we had this discussion about how, I forget what the graduation rate, like, you know, freshmen that come in, it's called 75% graduate yeah, or 80% sure. right, graduate, 25% right, right. fall out. Right. And the whole discussion was how do we raise that to closer to 100%? And I, I wasn't usually the lone dissenter, but at this part, I was like, this is good, right? Like, if 100% graduate, then what have I accomplished? I've just, I've just <laughs> fished in a stream down the yes, river. Like right. the fact, like someone has to fail or right. else this is way too easy. Yeah. I was the lone dissenter in the class. I just kind of, they just kind of <laughs> moved on with the discussion, but yeah. And I wasn't thinking in these ideological terms or sure, anything sure, like that. Sure. I could just, yeah. once again, just kind of sense like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. education has to be competitive enough that some people don't make it or else everyone's going to be a doctor and I don't want just anyone operating on me. Like <laughs> someone has to fall out and be like, this is too tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you recently had, there is a, one of those sort of like flushing kind of classes. It's usually been in a, in a pre-med curriculum, organic chemistry. Mm -hmm. One of those classes where you had a very old school guy at Columbia university in New York, a white male, unfortunately for him, and he was still running this orgo class and people are washing out of it and they're like, well, it's too hard. You know, like that seems to them like a legitimate complaint. That, that erasure of standards is an erasure of the idea that according to nature, life is unequal. Hmm. I'm not as fast as you. You're not at, your hand-eye coordination is not as good as mine. I'm dumber than you. Whatever it is that nature is unequal. Hmm. Right. That when we're talking about equality in some kind of, you know, I don't know, declaration of independence kind of way, we're talking about equality before God. We're not talking about equality in this life or on this earth. And that when we do try to make that happen, we're always revolting against nature because we're trying to force something. So it's not just, is this worthwhile if everybody can do it? Mm -hmm. If 100% of people graduate, 
is that a degree that I want? Because mm-hmm. nobody was challenged, obviously. Because yeah. 100% of people did it just fine, yeah. right? Do I want that degree? It's also that, yes, if 100% of people who enter go from pre-med all the way to being brain surgeons, do I ever want to take the risk of getting brain surgery? Mm-hmm. No, I do not. Because I have no idea whether that person can actually do it. Yeah. One 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 travesty, and I, I'll be careful with the statistics I give because I haven't looked this up, but I have a good friend who went through med school yeah. and he was telling me this and he was giving me all the numbers and stuff. So yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. he wasn't just kind of flippantly talking about this. He's like, this is wild. And he was talking about the MCAT scores. I think that's what, yeah. what it is yeah. to get into med school. Yep, that's right. And he said, listen, there's a spectrum and it's a huge spectrum at what your score needs to be for you to get into med school depending on your gender and your uh-huh. race. And I'll just say, yep. I won't go through all of them, but yeah. the highest is uh, Asian ma- males. You have to have the highest <laughs> score. So if you're an Asian yeah. male, you have to have a higher score than a white male. Yes. And a right, much yeah. higher score as you go down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. I remember that, that blew my mind. <laughs> and at the time I was like, I have to change some of my doctors, right? Because I'm looking, I'm going, my doctor could have had low scores all the way through. I need to go find an Asian male because they had to always be the best. And their whole point yeah. was they're trying to reverse, they, they categorize as, well, we're trying to reverse, you know, institutional racism and all this right. kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, you just created a system where I'm going to go search for an Asian male because you're, you're creating a system where they have to be the best. So what's happening is that the way that that is connected to secularization as a process is that the the less that i'm familiar with anything being a given like why are men this percentage of plumbers why are men this percentage of brain surgeons why are women this percentage of this profession that is basically like caring for another human being why why are only women mothers (laughs) is that it gives me an incessant gap between what I observe and what I think is actually achievable. So it lets people say things, and this is kind of a sad version of the question that you posed earlier about the woman who wants to be a mother without a dad, but there's currently a push that I've seen in various advertisements connected to sports to end childhood cancer. Now, on on one level, it's like, who who thinks that's a bad idea mm-hmm. on another level who believes that this is something we're actually going to achieve but the answer to the second question is lots of people hmm. because lots of people believe every problem is due to somebody else conspiring to keep it in existence hmm. if it's a problem it's because somebody hasn't tried hard enough or spent enough or been disabused of his privilege enough or whatever the problem is. And so it's achievable. It gives us a sense of godlike capacity. Mm-hmm. And not only will that in this case with a campaign to end cancer disappoint us, but it will also cause us currently to, to engage in all kinds of malinvestment and hucksterism. It concerns fundraising, so there are going to be grifters, all profiting off the fact that you can't tell the difference because you have no acquaintance with God or nature between what should be and what is. Because hmm. you're not, you, you have never been taught that what is is just what you deal with in life. Yeah. 
you know? And hence why there's always this notion of, it goes kind of back to why why people aren't, they're not upset that you're a pastor yeah. or a Christian. Yeah. But they'll kind of look at it and it's like, oh, that's good. Like you kind of, you kind of like help people feel better you sometimes. You help people feel better. But like, let's go talk to like the serious guy. Let's go talk to the doctors. Let's go yeah. talk to the engineers. Right. Because like, those are the people that make life better. Why? Because, well, life is whatever happens here over this 80 years and maybe 120 years if, if science has its way yes. or maybe maybe 200 years, right? right? Because yeah. once again, if you're in touch with nature, you say, oh, so-and-so dies here. Oh, everybody dies. And therefore these these kind of eternal questions, you know, of, of what is no longer trivial, but what is real and yeah. meaningful, you know, those are going to be the most important aspects of your life. And therefore you'll find time for a devotion with your family before dinner. The pastor gets figured in this process if he's not if he's not an obviously hostile figure because he's promoting reactionary things. Hmm. Okay. If that's not the case, then he's something like an unlicensed mental health counselor slash social worker. Hmm. So I was involved we don't have an LCMS church in East Palestine, Ohio. So I, when that train wreck happened back in February, I got, I got a bunch of really wonderful people to give a lot of money in the name of Lutherans to the people of East Palestine, working through local people. That was really great. And that was a wonderful thing. And you always meet the best people when you're asking them to give money to people they don't know. Mm-hmm. You, meet, you meet the best people and you, you talk to the best people. There have been all kinds of articles coming out recently. I've, I've kept the Google alert for East Palestine up the whole time. I get one every day. So most people have kind of forgotten that that happened and how to pronounce East Palestine. But there have been lots of articles over the time since then of like some journalist flies from Los Angeles, has to fly into Pittsburgh and then rent a car and drive and go to East Palestine. And they're like, wow, churches do a lot of stuff. Hmm. That's really nice. But the role there is not the role is not the reason that a Christian church exists. They're thinking of Christian churches as kind of built-in super-powered social welfare agencies, especially in rural areas. That's as much as they can imagine a church needs to exist for. If I were if I were in touch with nature, I would be able to say the church is there for the same reason that the funeral parlor is there. The church is there for the same reason that the philosopher is there. The church is there for the same reason that you feel something when you listen to certain songs because it's talking about the deepest realities of life and giving you the truth about them. That's why there are churches. That's mm-hmm. what they're for. That's what they do, right? If people aren't in any kind of contact with those realities or can quickly ignore them because on to next, you know, thing they can heat up in the microwave, thing they can watch, whatever, then, yeah, they have no concept why there are churches. Yeah. But I think more often, honestly, I mean, I don't want to put this on everybody. Churches also don't care about a lot of these things. Like I would say, I I like to tell this, not to like put everyone to shame, but just make you aware. Like, so growing up, don't go to church, don't go to church, don't go to church, don't go to church. I think I went to church maybe for like a funeral a couple of times. And one time my buddy, his grandpa was a Pentecostal pastor. I had to go to church there. So that was wild. 
from zero to a thousand. They're like screaming. <laughs> well, but okay, I my it, my impression in my like befogged fifteen year old brain was like, they're really into this. Yeah. You know, like, and when you're a young guy, like if anybody is intense about things, you kind of respect it. You know? Yeah. But so I finally started going to church. I'm in college, you know. But I'm I'm sitting there waiting for my parents to come out of the store. This lady. This is the first time a Christian has ever tried to present the gospel to me. This lady takes a track that she's carrying with her. She's Mennonite. This is central Pennsylvania. We have these people. Not Amish, Mennonite. They drive cars. She slides the track across the bench to me and goes, here, this is for you. <laughs> that was it. You know, so, so if we're not looking for these people and giving them a sense of what is real, then where do you think they're going to get it from? Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, it doesn't just fall out of the sky. And if Lewis is not talking to Tolkien and other people at this time, when he's beginning to wonder these things as he's becoming somewhat dissatisfied with his previous... I mean, the guy went through a war and then a whole other decade and then became a Christian. But what if those people are not talking to him at that time? Does he still become a Christian? Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe but god works through means god works through means so he would still have to read a christian or hear a christian even if he doesn't have these friends who are explaining things to him and discussing things with him so if the means are not there the people are not magically moving from oh i really don't like it you know when this happens but i don't i don't even, i can't even put it into words why or whatever they're not going to move from that to jesus christ is the son of god yeah magically yeah yeah so what is the role of church now in a in a secular type culture yeah church has to first of all just not accept that all of this was good this process of revolt against nature and against authority but church needs to accept that that's the battlefield now rather do, than i you go ahead yeah no i was gonna say do you think that most people have their finger on that no no i i think that a, a there's a combination of two things at the same time, and they're both fairly inarticulate. They get articulated to me personally as I talk to people in the church, which is a fairly broad exposure around our country, is the two inarticulate things. One is complete mystification as to what happened. Mm -hmm. And I get that most often from, if I can say it this way, normal people. They have no idea what happened. The church used to be full, and now it's not. They honestly don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. They have not. They have not inside the church been given a vocabulary for everyday life decisions that spiral into my grandkids have never even been in, into a church. Mm -hmm. They don't know how that might be connected to education or family or anything. It's just all like the church was full. I always brought my kids to church. Now nobody goes. I don't get it. Right. I think it's from the 50s for every one person we convert we lose six <laughs> and the one whenever i talk about that statistic <laughs> it's like pushing home that's not normal like that no. the christian church didn't serve out survive no. you know multiple civilizations no. over the course of 1500 years no like that's never been the case so no. that's that's brand new that's but, not that, that that's not that's not how people live yeah you know i mean my 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 folks are both from Western Pennsylvania originally. So I had to be a Steelers fan growing up, but I grow up in central Pennsylvania. It's not really Pittsburgh territory at all. 
I'm a Pittsburgh everything fan. I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. That's not why, because my parents were. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not normal for you to be like, well, my parents are Pittsburgh Pirates fans. I think I love the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. That's not normal. TV told you that, or you're just being weird. But it's not normal for people to grow up one way and be completely different. Yeah. That's why if we're going to talk about, well, the way that we're going to save our church or our school or whatever is just by converting giant numbers of people, it just doesn't statistically happen. I, I get very uh, turned off, and maybe at some point I could be swayed. I'm 32, but you know, by it seems like there's this this hyper push for evangelism. Yeah, to where like the response is, we're losing six to one. Most of them are our own kids. Yeah. So like maybe the answer is let's quit talking about theology, or like let's quit rooting down the creeds and all of these kind of foundational mm-hmm. things which have been lost, but rather like everyone get out there and go talk to your neighbors and go pass mm-hmm. things. You know. Yeah, pass things out. Yeah. And it just it feels like we're we're being evangelized because we're sending people out that are not properly prepared. You know, they're not learning it in the household, they're not getting proper education, they're yeah. not getting proper teaching in the church. These are not habits in the household. And the only news we have for them is like, God loves you and now like go tell 10 people about it and yeah. go be like a door-to-door salesman for the church. And if that's, and that's, that's a little bit of a, that's an overstatement for, you know, but if you do that, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't think it's an overstatement because if I were doing, let's say something that still often does door-to-door sales is like home solar panels. Mm-hmm. If you were going to sell home solar panels, guess what? You would probably know more than two things about solar panels. Mm-hmm. You would be like this solar panel theology nerd. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where are they made? What are they made out of? How does this relate to my electricity bill? If I want to get off grid, how many panels do I need? If I just want to pay back into the grid, how many panels do I need? You have to know all that stuff. We take people who are maybe less catechized than they've ever been before because that's old-fashioned or that's boring or that's whatever, right? And then we send them out and they're like, they just know that they're supposed to tell people to buy solar panels. They don't know anything else about solar panels. Mm. 